0: You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. Today we're putting a a comma on the book of Philippians and we're gonna come back to it next uh, year as my staff calls it Philippians part two, Tokyo Drift. For those who know that, uh, that joke. Uh, yesterday, I said last week, uh, yesterday on Saturday, marked uh, 20 years since I surrendered my life to the Lord. And you know, whenever you kind of come up on a milestone like that or a marker in your Christian life, it really causes you to ponder just what God has done up to this point. And I think for some of you, you've done that as well. And it just got me thinking about my life before Christ. And for those who don't know, I was I was actually raised in a very religious Roman Catholic home, which meant that we went to church every Sunday. Uh, my parents put me in a Catholic school where in the second grade, I, I made my first communion and saw the priest in a little box and confessed my sin. Uh, at the age of 14, I made my first confirmation. I went to an all boys Catholic school in the seventh grade when I got asked to leave the co-ed school I was going to. And my parents thought, you know what, we're gonna fix Robbie. We're gonna send him to a school run by the brothers where no girls are there who have wiggly uh, paddles for wiggly little boys who get out of trouble and they got me a line. And it worked, I mean, to be honest with you, when somebody pulls out a paddle, you listen back in the day. Anybody remember those days? (laughs) You get in trouble today for that. But anyway, it worked for me, right? Might need to bring it back, but anyway, can I get an amen, right? <laughs> amen, <college>. amen, <laughs> not what I'm preaching on. But I think I went to a Southern Baptist college. I spent four years at this college. I took Bible classes, theology, doctrine. Every weekend I would come home. I would go to church with my parents. I would sit in service just like many of you sit today. And all through that entire time for 26 years, I was lost. Now, How do I know? Because I wasn't a new creation in Christ. I wasn't born again. Uh, I live no differently than my unbelieving friends who partied every weekend, never went to church and had no desire to serve God. And so I would ask you today, what about you? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus in such a way that your life looks differently than your unbelieving friends? Because if so, it should be, right? Like our lives should be, there should be a marked difference in our lives between those who don't profess Christ compared to those of us who do profess Christ. And so today, what I wanna do in just a few moments, I'm gonna give you an opportunity as we kind of close this series, uh, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do just that, to surrender your life to Christ completely. And I know in a group this size, there are some of you who've been running from God for a long time. I know from experience, it's just best to give up and give in and surrender. And so today I'm gonna to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Christ. We're gonna pick up in Philippians chapter two, verse 12. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. And uh, we like to say word at Long Hollow. So whether you have an iPad or a phone or, or a Bible, when you get there, or you're looking at the screen, you can, you can say word when you're there. You, you could do it at home as well. The word of the Lord. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed. Now that's the key word in the text, so just underline that. Just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. I want to teach you a little bit about salvation and I want to show you the outflow of salvation in your life. The first insight from the text is salvation is demonstrated by God. God is demonstrating for us in the text what salvation is. Now, one of the keys with Bible study of any kind, and this is a good thing to note: whenever you come to a text in scripture, it's important to remember that a text must be preserved in its context. We used to say in seminary, kind of a cute phrase, a text without of without context is a pretext for a proof text, which basically just means if I take the text out of the context, I can take it out to make it mean anything I want to prove. And if you don't believe me, just turn on TBN, right? Or t- television, pre- not all of them, but some of them, right? They just preach what they want to prove what they want. And so when we put the text in context, we realize that this is an argument Paul has already started back in chapter one, verse 27. And Paul said this this phrase and we laughed about it when we started it, Paul said just this one thing. Remember this? And then he says a lot of things, but he says just one thing. What he's saying is I'm giving you one theme and that theme you could put a bracket in your Bible goes from 127 to chapter two, verse 18. It's it's the one theme and the theme is simply this, unity in the community of faith. That's what he's saying. He's basically saying this, if you can't get along in the community of faith, how can we expect those outside of the community to desire what we have? That's we he's saying. Now, another cool insight about this passage is that the, the, the pronouns you in the text, you would think are singular, talking individually. They're actually, get this, plural. Paul was from Middle Tennessee. He would say the word y'all, right? Yeah, that's what he say. Just as y'all have obeyed, work out y'all salvation with fear and trembling. That's what he's saying. Now, are you saying salvation is not individual? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is salvation is always personal, but it's never private. It's always lived out among a community of faith. And so what Paul's saying is this, if we can't get along in the body of Christ, how can we expect those outside of the body to desire the salvation we have? Because there's people, by the way, looking at us and saying, is this Christian thing real? Is this salvation thing what what I want? And so before I go on, let me just define what salvation is so we're all on the same page. Before a person can be saved, just kind of basic theology here, before a person can even be saved by God or any salvation, they have to recognize they're lost, right? So you have to come to the place in your life when you say, I am lost. If you've ever gotten lost driving, for those who, and some of the younger people are gonna say, really? I'm telling you, you just need to trust me. There was a day before Waze. I'm just telling you. We don't remember it, but there was, right? There was a day before Google Maps on your iPhone. There was a day before those Garmins who had the annoying voice on your dashboard. Remember those? There was a day where we actually traveled with paper maps. Can I get an amen? Do you remember that? I remember my dad and mom would go on a trip and we would drive in the car. Mom was always the map keeper. Dad was always the designated driver, self appointed, right? Dad was gonna drive, we're gonna get there, and it's on my time, and we're gonna make it, we're gonna beat last year's time, right? And so every time we'd go to somewhere new, Dad would be driving, and Mom would be map keeping. And, uh, and you gotta remember, these are the days before when you get off track, make an immediate U turn, if possible. Make an immediate, you know, rerouting. Rewriting. They didn't say any of that. It was Mom saying that, right? Mom would say, uh, honey, uh, I think we're going the wrong way. To which dad would say, ah, no, we're right on track, babe. We're right on track, honey. We are. And she would say, no, 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 you don't understand. I think we just missed the turn. And dad would say, yeah, but surely there's another intercept. I just keep driving. That was my dad. We'll just keep driving. Surely there's another cut in somewhere up here. And you knew the wheels had come off uh, spiritually or supernaturally when dad had to pull over at the 7-Eleven and ask for help. You knew, anybody with me? Some of you remember the 7-Eleven, right? And, and, and I went in one time with him, and I, I realized as a young boy that the directions the person behind the counter gave were more confusing than reading the map, right? I mean, like, it's like, oh, yeah, you, you, you're not far. You just go back two stops and take a right right there. You're going to veer off to the left, and you're going to come to a hard stop. You're going to take a right where that old Miller barn used to be. You're going to veer off. You'll be right back on the interstate, no problem. Got it? No, we got it. Oh, we got it. All right, thank you. And you leave, right? It's so confusing. But but the point I want to make is just because dad admitted he was lost, that's where the moment of redemption or help came in. You gotta understand it this way. Until dad admits that he needs help, he could never be saved or helped. Friends, listen to me. The moment you admit you are lost, that's when Christ steps in. Now I'm using the word lost here. You hear it in the church. The word lost means separated from God. The word lost means no intimacy with God. The word lost means I can't find my way to God. I need to be saved in, in a sense. I remember this was kind of the hotbed word for my parents who I remember after I became a believer and I was quote saved and born again, I wanted everyone to be saved. You've been there like telling everybody. My parents who were raised in a different religion never heard that terminology. And so I went to them and said, mom, dad, you need to be saved. And I remember my parents pushing back and saying, saved? You don't understand, Robbie. We've always gone to church. You're the one who left church. We have always been good. We have always served the Lord. You're the one who got lost in your sin and you needed to be saved, but we've been good with God since the beginning. You ever heard that before? Now there is a biblical problem with that mindset and that's this, the Bible says otherwise. In fact, the Bible says that every person in this room is born into the world lost and in need of salvation, every single one of us. It also says that everybody here is under the condemnation and the judgment of God, and if we're not redeemed from our sin, we will spend eternity in a Christless place called hell. So the Bible says. In fact, I'll show it to you. Look what Paul says in Ephesians I could literally give you hundreds, but I give you four. Ephesians 2, 1, and you were, before Christ, dead in your trespasses and sins. This is interesting. Guess what the word dead means in Greek? Dead. You don't need a similar degree for that one, I promise. Dead. And what that means is if you've ever gone to a funeral, the only way a dead man or a woman can come to life is if someone outside of themselves gives life. Here's the crazy thing about being dead. Those who are dead don't know they're dead. And I have a sneaking suspicion because I know a group this size, there are many of you in here who are simply dead right now in your sin and you don't even know it. And Paul says you are dead in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Colossians chapter one, verse 21. Once, this is before, once you were alienated, separated and hostile from God in your minds, as expressed in your evil actions. Ephesians chapter two, verse 12. At that time before Christ, you were without him, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Isaiah 59 nine two. But your iniquities, your sins, are separating you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Friends, listen. Listen closely. It's not that you are lost and eventually by working harder and smarter, you'll find your way to God. It's not how it works. In fact, the harder you work in your own strength, the more lost you become. It'd be like someone who's stranded out at sea in the middle of nowhere saying, I'm just gonna swim harder to shore. No, you're gonna ensure death quicker. So it's not that we can work harder to get to God. We have to come to the place where we realize we have nothing without God. Now, at this point, some of you say, well, well, Robbie, you don't understand. Pastor, I don't have your testimony. I don't have your past like you. I wasn't a drug addict. I wasn't an alcoholic. I'm I'm actually good with God. I've been to church all my life. I don't need God in my life. Friends, listen, look at me. Nothing will send a person faster to hell than a comfortable life. Say it again, nothing will send you faster to hell than a comfortable life, why? Because a comfortable person doesn't need God. They have everything, they have a suburban life, they have a car in the garage, they have a a wife and kids, They, they have a soccer mom and a football dad and they have everything the world would have to offer. Why would they ever turn their life over to Christ? Now, you know my past, I would never go back. I'd never wanna go back and willingly endure pain and suffering and turmoil that I went through before Christ, but I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. Anybody with me? Because here's the thing, here's the reality. God, I'm hard headed, So God had to bring me so low where the only place I had to look or could look was up. And look at me, some of you right now, God has some of you on the breaking point of falling apart. You're thinking, can anything else put put me down? Is, Is there really a God if this is really happening? That is the best place to be, why? Because breakthrough from God comes through brokenness. Brokenness. And I'm just telling you, it's a whole lot easier to acquiesce and give in and say, all right, God, I'm yours. Repentance is the pathway to revival, personal revival. See, you gotta realize this. Salvation is not adding Jesus to your already good life. That's not what salvation is. It's not saying I'm gonna add Jesus as an addition or an upgrade to my happiness or my wealth or my, 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 my health to make me better. Salvation is God transferring you from the domain of darkness serving Satan into the kingdom of light serving the king. Salvation isn't something we deserve. It's not something we earn. We can't get there by coming to church. We don't, we, we don't earn salvation through baptism. We're, we don't lose it by, by, by doing certain things. We don't go to church to earn it. We don't take communion in a certain church. We don't pray, we don't give. If that was the case, watch this. If our acceptance was based upon our good works, it no longer is a gift from God that we receive, but a, but a wage that we have earned. See the difference? If I can do something in my own strength to earn grace or keep grace, it ceases to be grace. Grace means unearned, unmerited favor. Now it's amazing how I've preached this for years and years, even here at Long Hollow, sermon after sermon, and it's hard for us, human nature, to get off that legalistic treadmill of staying right with God by our own works, right? And that's why Paul has to make it clear in Ephesians chapter two. Verse eight, now watch this, he beats a dead horse here. For you are saved by grace, unearned, through faith. This is not from yourselves, you didn't do anything to earn it. It's God's gift, do you earn a gift or receive a gift? You received a gift, not from works. All right, Paul, we get the point here, right? It's like, what are you trying to tell us? You didn't earn it, grace, not from your own selves, didn't do it, God's gift, God gave it, not from works, why? So that no one can boast, do you get the point? Here's how you know if you are earning salvation. Here's how you know. Are you going to heaven is the question. If I were to ask you that question, are you going to heaven? And your answer to me is something like this. I hope so, I think so. I've lived a decent life. I've tried to raise my kids in a good home. I've come to church weekly. I've tried to do some good deeds. I've given some extra money to the Lord for his work. If your answer is that, my response to you is no, because all of those things are works for God. Let me, let me remind you. You and I don't go to heaven because of our church affiliation. Whether you're Baptist or, you know, when I was raised Catholic, when someone say, hey, are you saved? My response was what? I'm Catholic. That's, that, no, you're laughing. That was the response. Anybody raised Catholic? That was the response. Anybody have family members? Are you saved? They say, no, I'm Catholic. Catholics not gonna get you into heaven more than Baptists will get you into heaven. I tell all those Baptists who think we're the only ones there, you're gonna be very surprised when you get to heaven. <laughs> I promise you, because there'll be Methodists and Catholics and Presbyterian who were saved, who are born again. Remember, let me remind you, if you try to affirm yourself or align yourself with a denomination, let me remind you, Jesus was Jewish. <laughs> he wasn't Catholic, he wasn't Baptist, he wasn't Presbyterian. You're not going to go to heaven because of your spouse or the faith of your grandchildren. I mean, grandparents or the faith of your parents. You're going to go to heaven because of your commitment to Christ individually. You're not going to go to heaven because of your church attendance. You're not going to go to heaven because you gave enough money or went on enough mission trips or know enough of the Bible or if you've been naughty or nice. If that's the case, you better think twice because that's not how you go to heaven, right? I believe the reason you're going to heaven is is not because you're a good person. If you believe that I'm going to heaven because I was a good person, let me say this with love, you are probably not going to heaven. What do you mean? Here's why. Because if you think your basis of going into heaven is based on your good works, then on that day of judgment, you're gonna stand before Christ and put your good life up against his perfect life and I promise you, it will fail miserably. See on that day, what you're gonna need is a savior to stand up and say, I am hiding Robbie's life behind the cross of Christ, which is why I paid for his sin on the cross of Calvary. Father, don't look at him, look at me. And you want Jesus to be your advocate on that day to, to stand before you and to go to bat for you and to say, Father, don't judge Robbie. I know he's a sinner. Don't judge his sin, judge that to my account because I paid for it in full. Friends, listen, that's why Jesus said on the cross, "It is." Finish. Not it was finished, aren't you glad? Not it will be finished one day, but it is finished. Meaning it's finished today, it was finished before, and it will be finished in the future as he wipes your sins as far away as from the east is to the west. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's good news today for me. See, the only assurance you and I have of going to heaven is acknowledging that we are lost. It's a hard thing to do, particularly for prideful men and women to acknowledge your loss and a need of salvation from your sin. Now I know what you're thinking. Okay, I understand that. I understand that I can't do anything to be saved. But didn't you just read the passage that you read to us? Because it seems like Paul is saying, we're supposed to work out something we don't work for. Simple Bible reading will show us that, right? Like Paul just said, work out your own salvation. So the question is, Does God work for our salvation or do we work for the salvation or from our salvation? And the answer is what? Yes, to both, right? Number two, not only is salvation something that we must receive from God and God demonstrates for us, but salvation demands a response from us. Demands, demands a response. Look what he says, verse 12. Let's read it again. Therefore, my brothers, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed So now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out y'all's own salvation with fear and trembling. So we say, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So the question is, are we working for salvation or is God working in us for salvation? Yes. I mean, that's how Jewish people think, right? I mean, they think on two hands, on the one hand and the other hand. The Hebraic culture doesn't have a problem with apparent contradictions being held in tension. It's called mystery. We'll talk about it in a moment. Now, the key word here is the word obeyed. I already told you that. The word obeyed is an interesting word. Because what he's saying is, you don't work to be saved. We know that from salvation. We don't work to be saved, we learn that. But from salvation, we will work for the Lord. Not trying to earn something from God, but because we have already everything from and in God through Christ. So we don't work for our salvation. But once we're saved, we will work for the Lord. Now, here's a better way to think of it. Work seems like punching a clock or clocking into the office. So let me change the word, this is my translation. Live out your salvation with fear and trembling. For me, that feels a little easier to digest. Live out your salvation, why? Because everywhere you go, you're gonna live this thing out if it's real. Now, the key phrase is fear and trembling, and it's not horror and angst. It's not we're scared of God, that he's gonna crack a whip over us. It's more of a reverence and an awe for God, and I think you would agree. We have lost in this country reverence and fear for God. Wouldn't you agree? We have no fear of God anymore. And I wanna submit to you, if you're fearful of men or women online or in person, I would submit to you, you probably have no healthy fear of God. Because when you fear God, you don't fear men or women. Why? Because God will fight your battle for you. That's what he does. Now, when we obey the words of scripture, we don't earn our salvation. What we do is we preserve our, write this down, intimacy with the Father, big difference. So the reason we obey the Lord, the reason we read this book, the reason we put it in our lives is not to earn a prize from the heavenly king. The idea is we live for him out of obedience to preserve the intimacy we have with the Father. And I don't wanna, I don't know about you, I don't wanna do anything to hinder the intimacy and relationship I have with God. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I don't wanna sin, not because of what God would do to me in fear, but of what God won't do through me because of disobedience or disqualification. See the difference? It's not that I'm scared of God gonna whip me, I mean, although I have a fear of God, I'm not scared that I'm a sin and he's gonna punish me, I'm trying to live out the kingdom of my life and push back darkness with light. And this is the kind of FOMO, just to submit to you, I think we need to have today. You know, FOMO is the fear of missing out. Shouldn't we have as Christians, a fear of missing out of being used by God? For Paul though, salvation was threefold. And so I told you earlier, salvation is on two hands, but for Paul, it's on three hands. Did you know this? Paul had three hands, he'd talk about salvation in three parts. And for Paul, which is kind of confusing to our Western American mind, it's hard for us to kind of rationalize this. I had a friend in seminary, every day at lunch, we would, this is the kind of talk you talk about in seminary. Every day at lunch, he would ask me this question. So Galilee, what is it? Is salvation a punctiliar point in time, or is it a process? And I'd say, Sean, it's both. It cannot be both, it cannot be both. I mean, it's all day long, you know? I'm like, it's both. For Paul, it's, it's trice, right? Here's for Paul. For Paul, salvation, follow me is a past tense event, it's a present tense reality, and it's a future promise, all at the same time. I wanna show them to you, right down if you're taking notes. I wanna show you. The first thing for Paul is this, salvation is a past encounter where God has saved us from the penalty of sin. At the moment you accepted Christ, these three things happened and are happening in your life today. Number one is you are saved from the penalty of sin in the past and it's a present encounter with Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, for you are saved by grace It's something that happened to you uh, through faith and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works and though it can boast, it's something that God did. For we are his workmanship which he created in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. That's something that happened in the past. Look at the next one, Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. He erased, God, the certificate of debt from your past with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross of Christ on Calvary. That's something God does in the past. Here's what happens. At the moment of surrendering and confessing your sin to Christ, Jesus frees you from bondage of sin and he gives you this freedom that he paid for on the cross. He removes the penalty and the guilt of sin from our lives the moment we cry out to him. He doesn't hold our past against us. Can anybody amen to that, right? That's what's so awesome about salvation. Now the natural question becomes this, well, can you lose it? Robbie, can you lose your salvation? Because it seems like I've read some scriptures where it almost seems like you can lose your salvation. And I just wanna say, I've written written a, a book about this, I've written extensively, talked about this, something I'm passionate about, because I had to learn about it when I would be questioned about it. I don't have a lot of time, but I'll condense it. And let me just give it to you philosophically. Either our works are a part of our salvation equation or they're not, now follow me here. You cannot have it both ways, meaning you cannot say that we're not saved on the front end by not doing good works, And yet we can unravel our salvation on the back end by doing enough bad works. You see what I'm saying? You cannot say there's no works here, but there are works here. It's either works or not works. It's a very simple way for me to think of. And so another way to think of it is this. Here's the equation of salvation. It's not Jesus plus works, that's not salvation. It's not Jesus plus baptism. You're not saved by baptism, that's a work. It's not Jesus plus church membership, wherever church you go to. It's not Jesus plus communion. It's not Jesus plus confession to a clergy. It's not Jesus plus a denomination. Here's the equation, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. The moment you and I get to heaven and we did anything like, oh, I was Catholic, I was Baptist, I was baptized, I, I, I walked an aisle, I signed a car. The moment you say that, everybody says, man, that's pretty awesome you did that. And the boasting goes to you. Friends, when we get to heaven, that's all we're gonna do is kneel down and say, the only reason I'm here is because of him. I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't I'm more apt than my friends who died of drug addiction years ago. I didn't have better parents. It was simply Jesus Christ. This is why you cannot lose anything you did nothing to earn. Simple, right, when you see it this way. so Because you cannot unadopt yourself from the family of God. Once you're adopted, once you're grafted into the vine, you're grafted in, Romans chapter 11. You cannot become, you cannot unadopt yourself from the family. For example, you can be a wayward son, like the prodigal son, but you're still a son and a part of the family in the pig pen. You may not act like it, but you're still in the family of God. We like to say not if saved, always saved, because there's a lot of ifs. We like to say once saved, always saved. Now the question is, are you saved? The question is, have you been born again? Because salvation is a past tense or present tense encounter. It's a past tense event and it's a future, watch this, a future, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. It was a, I'm thinking, I never talked about that. It's a past event, it's also a present reality, okay? So something that happened in the past but there's this present reality where God right now is saving you from the power of sin in your life. Write this down. He's saving you from the power of sin in your life. The first one is just a big word, justification. You've heard this. The second one is a big word, sanctification. He is sanctifying or setting you apart today. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, watch this. For the word of the cross, the message of Jesus is foolishness to those who are perishing but it is the power of god to us who are what being saved i thought you just said paul we were saved i thought you just said christ nailed our debt to the cross i thought you just said we we were chosen before the foundation of the world so which one is it and the answer is it's what it's both right this is sanctification. This is the process, coming close, where God is sanctifying you from sin today. Through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the third person and the lost person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, working in you to work through you to lead you to holiness, he begins to free you from the power of sin. Here's what that means. You and I, as Christians, if we profess, this is the point I want you to get, we should be progressing on a journey closer to Jesus today than we were a month ago, or a year ago, or 10 years ago. Think about it this way. Sin should have less mastery over your life today than it did a year ago, 10 months ago, 10 years ago. You see what I'm saying? If you're still battling, I would submit to you, at the same intensity, in the same duration, in the same tempo, sin that you were battling six months ago or a year ago or 10 years ago, I would question if you're a Christian. Now I'm not saying perfection, listen, I'm not saying we don't fall, I'm not saying we don't backslide from time to time. What I'm saying is when Jesus saves you, he sets you on a trajectory where you are upwardly moving toward, there's this upward mobility toward Jesus progressively. And if you're a, listen, here's the way to think of it. Everybody in here is either going to Jesus or away, but nobody stays the same. Nobody stays the same. Now you say, well, that's pretty confrontational today. Pastor, you're getting all up on us today. <laughs> I don't know you, that's the thing. Listen, I'm the, I don't know where you are with God. You do, and I'm telling you, whether you give your life to Jesus or not, which I pray you do today, If you don't, I promise you, you will remember this sermon on that day. That's why it's so important. The Most important decision of your life more than anything is this decision to surrender to Christ. Because it's a present encounter where he he starts to take away this experience of taking away the power of sin, but it's also a future promise, number three. Paul says, not only were you saved, not only are you being saved, there's this future promise where one day Christ will take away, you ready for this? The presence of sin. So awesome. The presence of sin. Romans 5, Romans 5 9. How much more then, since we have been justified by his blood, something that happened in the past, will we be saved through him from wrath? That's future tense. So the question is, what is it? Are we saved in the past from the penalty? Are we being saved in the present from from the power of sin? Or will we be saved in the future from the presence of sin? And the answer is yes, it's all of it, right? Friends, Christ is coming back soon, sooner than we think. And when Christ comes back, your decision to follow him or reject him will be solidified in the annals of eternity. And the question is gonna be, do you serve him and worship him today willingly as Lord and savior, or will you reject him? And when he comes, you'll bow the knee to him and serve him as judge. The Bible says we'll all bow the knee. See, one day we're gonna be in the presence of Jesus where there is no presence of sin. I want you to imagine that. Imagine a world where there's no presence of sin. I think C.S. Lewis was the one who said that's the greatest promise of heaven, no presence of sin. Now, if you're like me, as remember, I, I studied this a little bit longer this week than you heard it, uh, it's pretty overwhelming. Amen, anybody say, well, that's a lot of stuff we just went through. Can anybody amen to that? Anybody think that? If your hands aren't raised, you're lying. <laughs> Maybe you got it, I don't get a lot of it. Whoever said that you can understand everything about God or know God, everything there is to know about God, I would submit doesn't know God, right? Because if you knew everything about God, he wouldn't be a God you'd want to worship anyway. I mean, the fact that we don't know everything about God, that that's okay. There are certain concepts in the Bible that that I don't understand. I remember when I was a new pastor in church and you know, at my, my previous church, you'd wait in line and it was the obligatory, you know, shake the hand before you leave the, the pastor. The pastor would stand at the back door, remember those days, and shake every hand, and you'd share the flu and COVID and you know, everything was, was like a cesspool of bacteria transfer. But anyway, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. anyway, thank God those days are gone. They would do fist bump, right? But, but, but they would come to me, and People would come to me and I was just praying to God early on. Just don't, God, just please don't let them ask me a question. I don't know the answer to which at that point, I didn't have a lot of answers. I don't have many more answers today, but I know where to find some of them. But the reality is there's some things I just don't understand and I'm okay with that. See, one of the things our modern culture has lost today is this concept called Mystery, follow me here, mystery. See, we live in a world today where everything's supposed to be figured out. And our Alexa asking, iPhone searching culture, you just tell your kids, you know, when I was little, you had to just rely on somebody in the group knowing the answer. I think it was, uh, you know, 1976. No, that's not when they were in the world. no, 1982, and that was it. Today, our kids say, no, I can look it up, hold on. Maybe I have a child like that, and they look it up. And what that's done is that has taught us that we can find the answer to anything at any moment in time. And the problem is if you take that to the Christian life, you miss the mystery of God. You miss the reverence of God. You miss the holiness of God. You miss the humility of mankind. Friends, listen, salvation is a mystery. I don't know how or why God chose me or how I got saved. I don't understand that. But I do know at one time I was a drug addict and an alcoholic and addicted to sin. And something happened on November 12, 2002, that the next day I was not the same person. Now, how did that happen? I don't know. And I don't know what the sharpest minds in the world are trying to say, we've figured this out. I promise you, they don't understand it like none of us do. But here's what I know, only God does. And I'm okay with that. Only God knows how he can change a marriage and restore relationships and heal broken hearts. Only God can move someone from death to life. That's something God does. Only God can move someone from from being uh, in darkness to light. Only God can redeem someone from being lost to being saved. And I don't know how this works, but some of you here, this is one of the biggest hangups for you. You're questioning how can reciting a prayer and confessing sin really make a difference in my life. It seems so simple. And yes, it is simple, but I promise you, it is profound. See, when I got saved, I didn't know much of the Bible. In fact, I'd never read the Bible before. I didn't know much about God. I mean, I was pretty much checked out in those classes. And so I didn't have this theological mind or mindset or education. Here's what I did for those who say, well, I don't know a lot about God. That's okay, here's what I did. I took the little bit of faith I had in my room and put it in as much of Jesus as I knew. And because of that, I was radically saved. If you could understand it all, it would be faith. That's why it's called faith. If it was sight, then we'd all see it, it's called faith. And so here's my challenge to you. Don't let your intellect prevent you from salvation today. Don't let your skepticism hinder you from going all in and encountering God. Don't let your intellectual mind trying to say, if I don't understand it all, then I can't trust God. Listen, don't let that get in the way of encountering God. Don't let pride today paralyze you from responding to God. And listen, don't wait to get all your questions answered because honestly, they'll never be answered this side of eternity. So here's my challenge to you. Wouldn't it be cool as we put a comma on this series and really come to an end that new life for you in Jesus would begin today. And so I wanna pray over you now. And I say this before, but I wanna say it again. If you hear the voice of God today, do not harden your heart. If God led a man in his 80s, Gerald Wagner has been at this church since it started. Listen, before I gave the invitation last service, Gerald was here. I didn't know if Gerald was coming up on the stage or trying to tell me something. I didn't know what to do with Gerald. Like, Jerry, you're in the parking lot. What are you doing here, you know? And Gerald said, the Lord spoke to me last week and I put it off. Friends, the first step of obedience is in a step of obedience to God. And if God can't trust you to take a step of obedience toward him, how can you expect him to entrust you with greater things later? God's looking for somebody he can trust and he can do more in a moment than anybody can Manufacturing in a lifetime. Let me just pray for you now. I'll just bow your head for a moment. If you just feel that tugging, that pulling from God, today's the day. Pastor, speaking right to my heart. Whatever you have, I want. I've never encountered that. I've been on the legalism treadmill of working my way to God. And I've tried to earn salvation. I promise you, if you've tried to earn salvation, it is not salvation. So I'm gonna ask you to receive it today. With open arms, open heart, listen to me, just receive the free gift of salvation from Jesus. If that's your heart's desire, I'd love to pray right over you specifically now. And I'm gonna ask you to publicly just right where you are. I'm not gonna answer any questions. You're not gonna fill out a form or sign a test or or get quizzed by anyone. You're simply just gonna acknowledge before God, Pastor Robbie, that's me. I, I want you to pray over me right now. Would you? Would you just slip your hand up, just extend it at the elbow real high. Just say, Pastor Robbie, thank you, brother. Anyone else, just pray for me. I, I, like Jarrah, I've put it off long enough. I'm a deacon of, a chur- of, of the church, and if I stood up, people would say, man, you're crazy. I thought you were a believer. I've been here a long time. Thank you, sister. Anyone else, Pastor Robbie, pray for me. Anybody in the balcony, pray for me, pastor. Every head bow. Thank you, brother, for standing. Anyone else, pray for me. Today's the day. Thank you, brother. Pastor, I'm ready to go all in. I'm ready to surrender once and for all. Thank you, sister. Hands all over. Just a moment longer. Maybe you're a single mom. Maybe you're a single dad. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're a grandparent. You just, maybe you've been sprinkled as a child and you put your baptism off till today. Last week, we baptized at least four people who said they have waited 15 years to follow through with believer's baptism. And one of the last ones said, they have been putting it off since five years old. Friends, don't expect God to entrust you with much if he can't trust you with being obedient in baptism. Anyone else? Pastor Robbie, that's me. You're speaking right to me. Just slip your hand up for me. Praise God. Thank you, brother, in the balcony. I see that hand. Anyone else? Thank you, sister. Anyone, just a moment longer. Just a moment longer, and then I'm gonna pray over you. If you raise your hand at any time, no one else but those whose hands were raised, would you just look at me? Raise your hand again one more time so I can see you. Just don't, don't, don't be ashamed, praise God. Just raise your hand so I can see you. And then uh, just look at me. Just look at me for a moment. Just those whose hands were raised hey, I know this is a big deal. Um, I'm not asking you to do anything that I didn't do when I was in your seat, uh, not very many years ago. Uh, But I know whenever we take a step of faith, God honors that. And so I'm gonna ask you now, if you're looking at me, would you just make your way here to the front? I wanna pray a specific prayer over you. And I'm gonna pray a double blessing upon your life, that God's favor would be upon you and that God would begin to use you in an amazing way to set you free from anything you're dealing with. And so I'm gonna ask you to come just intentionally and and personally, if you need to grab the hand of your spouse or someone who came with you, they'll let you out. Yeah, those are coming, praise God. You just come, make your way out. I promise you, they'll let you out the row. If you're in the balcony, we'll wait for you. Praise God, just make your way down. And we could just kneel down here and I'm gonna just say a prayer of blessing over you. We're gonna thank the Lord for your faithfulness. Maybe you've been putting off baptism for a while. Today's the day. Like Gerald, you just said, man, I I, I don't wanna go home and, and miss this opportunity today. Thank you for coming. Just come, we're just gonna bow down. I'm gonna bow with you. We're just gonna ask the Lord's blessing. Amen, you come, thank you. Praise God. Maybe you were put in the tank years ago and walked away from the Lord and have since now put your faith in Christ and you haven't followed through with baptism and you've been putting that off, maybe today you need to come. Praise God. Thank you, brother. Just a moment longer. Amen. Thanks for coming. Let's pray over these men and women. I know we have some still coming. If you need to come, sister, grab the hand of your parents, you can do that and um, you can come with them. One of my staff member's sons said, dad, we need to be baptized last week. And um, he waited a week and he's gonna be baptized the next service. And in the process of his commitment, the other two said, dad, we've been putting it off too. And so one of my staff members is gonna baptize all three of his boys The next service, yeah. Father, we thank you so much for those who've come and and their step of obedience to step out towards you. Um, It's a reminder, God, that you still save and you still redeem and you do more in a moment than we can ever see or manufacture in a lifetime. So I'm gonna pray right now over these men and women, God, that you would call them to yourself. God, that you would save them, not just from their sin, God, but save them from their guilt and shame and that you would raise them up and. God, you would use them in such a way where they would leave this place different than the way they came in. We just pray right now, God, that they would have the courage to take a step of obedience and not be ashamed of pride paralyzing them from responding. And I pray, God, this would be a joyous thing, something they run to wanna to follow you in obedience to. We love you, Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you're down here, look at me for just a moment. Um, we, we normally don't do this, which is kind of an interesting thing. We normally don't offer spontaneous baptism. We haven't done it, but just a handful of times since the revival. But the Lord last week put it on my heart. And, and so this is the last week we'll do it. But I just feel like it's no accident you're here. And I promise you, God will honor your step of obedience. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. The first step of obedience is baptism. It's an outward, it doesn't save you, but it's an outward sign that God is changing your heart. I'm gonna ask you right now to follow through with the step of obedience. And the reason I'm asking you selfishly is I wanna share that moment with you and I'm gonna baptize you personally. Now we probably won't do it this service because I've preached way too long, but we'll do it at the beginning of the next service. So why don't we stand? Uh, sister, would you go make your way today? And if you've come, regardless, we want you to just go here for a moment, wanna pray over you, get some information to help you follow Christ. And so would y'all just make your way over to the left for just a moment to Brother Danny, Uh, obviously that way, y'all going the wrong way, sorry, behind the curtain. Yeah, thank you. Let's give the Lord a hand for what he's doing in their life today. Uh, Let's stand, we're gonna continue to worship and uh, as the Lord leads you, you can make these steps an altar uh, as you respond today.